Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. As uh, Brother Art mentioned there at the beginning, we're starting up uh, Sunday school in a few weeks. We're very excited about that, being able to, to get back in. Every opportunity that we have to, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, um, as people of God, we want to jump on those opportunities, right? We, we want to come to know Him as, as truly, as deeply as we possibly can. So we're looking forward to that. We'll have... Um, stuff for the little ones and then stuff for the, uh, is it okay if I say older ones? <laughs> You'll forgive me, right? Matthew chapter 22, we'll get there in just a second. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, it's not, that is not Scripture. It's not inerrant, infallible. But that is a true statement. Man's chief end, in other words, what is the most important thing? What were we created for as humans? Not even necessarily as Christians. What, were they, what was the human race created for. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I think that's something that gets so lost. We, we know the glorify God. Yeah, sure, we got that in spades. I understand that. But enjoy God? What does that mean? What does enjoy God mean? I, I enjoy pizza. I enjoy a movie, I enjoy time with my friends, but enjoy the Lord? I don't even, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that language. So today, that's going to be our aim. I'm going to aim to speak very clearly with what the Word says about this. How is it that we are to enjoy God? How can a person enjoy the Lord? So with that in mind, that direction set before us, we're going to look at Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hope you're there by now. Please stand with us as we read the Word of God. And the Catechism is not inspired, but this Bible is. Verse 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and 
A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how good it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. How good it is to see another Lord's Day. How good it is to have your written word here. Your word is better than life. Father, I can speak words into people's ears, into their hearing, but only your spirit can get it from ears to hearts. Lord, I pray that this morning, these words that that I speak, God, that I would be directed by you and not my own opinions, not my own thoughts, not my own feelings, but by the Holy Spirit of God, that we may leave here having a better understanding of what it is to love the Lord, for you are worthy of our love. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Next week, we'll be looking to start our our next book study. Um, But as a precursor, as a preface, as a, a way to get us prepared for where we're headed in that next book, I thought that this would be a great subject for us to cover. I mean, indeed, speaking of loving the Lord and His love for us is always a worthy topic, worthy of our study and our thought and our meditation. But the Pharisees, we've heard of the Pharisees. We probably, maybe a lot of you even know much more than I about who the Pharisees are. So if that's the case, then please bear with me. We're going to kind of recap who these Pharisees are. Why is this conversation here? Why does this matter? Why has this taken place? Why has Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thought it necessary to record this conversation? And why is it important that it's the Pharisees who ask this question? Let's consider those questions. So who are the Pharisees? Many of you know, you could probably answer that question. But they are a a, a sect of the Jewish faith that are very, very, very concerned with moral purity. They have a high emphasis on following the moral laws that the Lord has set forth for us. The Pharisees started off actually with good intentions. So for those of you who don't know, this section between Malachi and Matthew represents roughly 400 years that the people were in a drought of the word of the Lord. There weren't prophets. Nothing happened that was sent from the Lord. There were no words of the Lord speaking to the people, at least not that we have recorded for us. And so it was a dark time, that intertestamental period. And at that time... The Israelites, as was their custom, were once again drifting from the Lord. And so the Pharisees, a group of of conservatives, what we would call them today, they would probably vote Republican. We would call these people conservatives today. They did not like what the Israelites were doing. And they said, you know what? 
Let's separate ourselves because they are making a mockery of the law of the Lord. Let's separate ourselves. Let's come out from among them. And let's start our own denomination, if you will. Let's start our own group, our own sect, our own organization that does care about moral purity, that does care about holiness, that does care about pursuing the Lord and being much concerned with the law. These men were experts at the law. They knew the law backwards, forwards, upwards, and downwards. They had it memorized at very early ages. They would pray for long hours in public. I want to stress this this morning, that if you and I had seen Pharisees, you and I would think, man, that is a godly man. That is a very godly person. Why? Because as the Lord says in the Old Testament, man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. And we would see the outward of these Pharisees and say, I will never be as godly as they are. I will never be as holy as they are. They have it together. Look at those Pharisees. And they pursued this. They did it on purpose. They wanted that acclaim. They wanted to be looked at in that regard. They wanted to be celebrated. Jesus often is at odds with them saying, you love for people to call you rabbi. You love it. You love the best seats in the house. They wouldn't be back row Baptists, if you know what I mean. They would be front row faithists, I guess. Front row Pharisees, there we go. Because they wanted the best seat in the house. They wanted to be front and center. Look at me, I am a godly man. We would all look at them and say, wow. Those people have it together. Those people are godly. And they started off with great intentions. What a great, noble reason to begin, right? I mean, all of us would agree with that. If, if we saw, if it was very, very clear that the Baptist convention was swerving off into apostasy and they were worshiping false gods, we would be of like mind. We would say, hey, you know what? We can't be a part of this anymore. We've got to separate ourselves and come away from them because God has put forth the law and He's serious about His law being kept. And we should. We should always separate ourselves from apostasy. So they started off with all the right intentions. But here we are by the time that Jesus is walking this earth. Their hearts are far from Him. Isn't it interesting, the question, what is the most important commandment, Jesus? And you can almost picture Him fixing Himself like, whatever He's going to answer, I do that. I keep all the laws with rigorous discipline. So much so that there were 613 written laws for the Israelites And they added oral traditions. They added more commands, more laws to the law of Moses. So these were things that were not written in Scripture. It was called the oral tradition. 
They passed it down from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. They passed it down throughout the generations. These were the traditions that the Pharisees held to, that they would consider you an apostate, a sinner, a wicked man, if you didn't also follow their oral traditions. All of us would look at that and say, yeah, that's not right. We shouldn't. We're not supposed to be that way. We follow the Bible. And of course, they did this to make sure that they were following God's laws. That's how serious they were about it. They drew a buffer zone, if you will. I don't even want to get close to trespassing on the Lord's commands. It seems good. It seems right. What does that look like today? Do we have Pharisees today? Well, certainly not the religious sect of that time. No, we don't. But we have a lot of people who know a lot of Bible and know nothing of Jesus. We have a lot of people who are very disciplined but have no love for the Lord. We have a a, a lot of people who are quick to say, hey, if you watch a, a movie that's rated PG... You're an apostate. You're a sinner. Did you see that brother or sister wasn't at church Sunday? Oh my gosh, we've got to keep them in prayer. I can't believe it. They they missed a Sunday. I I don't know what's what's going to happen to them, brother. I don't know. Let's keep them in prayer. That's what it looks like today. We have a lot of laws and commands a lot of disciplined people. But what does Jesus say is the most important command? You see, we think that the Christian life is made up of the following of laws, rules, and regulations. That's what it is to be a Christian, is that I just do Christian things. I go to church every Sunday. I go to church every Wednesday. I give my tithe faithfully. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do that. But do you love the Lord? Do you love Him? Anybody can be disciplined. Brothers and sisters, anyone can follow a rigid moral code. Plenty of people do that. But what does Jesus think about this? What did Jesus really think of the Pharisees? Let's let him say it. Look over at Matthew chapter 23, the very next chapter. Look at verse 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch. You are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Why? Why? Think about this. Why would Jesus say that 
to a religious group who followed his commands to the T. Church, they did not break the law. They were righteous individuals. Why would he say that? He calls them hypocrites. On the outside, you look like you have it all together, but inside you're dead. Inside you're full of hypocrisy. Now you've been to church every single day that the doors have been opened. Good for you. But do you know me? Why do you think it is that Jesus says that many, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this and that? Were we not at church religiously? Did we not keep all your commands? And what will he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. You came to church, but you never came to the cross. You read the Bible, but you never tried to live it. You heard a lot of sermons, but you always thought the sermons were for somebody else, never you. And this is such a big mistake that we always make, is that we are never the Pharisees when we read the Bible. It's never me. Oh, that's so-and-so. That's brother so-and-so. That's sister so-and-so. That's not me. No, 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 no. In James, he speaks of the law of God as a mirror. Not a telescope with which to see everybody else's sins, but a mirror in which to see your own. That I look long and hard here and ask the Lord, am I the Pharisee? Is this me, Jesus? God forbid that that be me. Church, it can happen to anyone. None of us are beyond falling to any manner of temptation. Self-righteousness just seems to be the most common one. But now you see why the Pharisees are always at odds with Jesus. Because he exposed them for who they really are. The word of truth came. They said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't like that at all. The word became flesh. And they say, "Uh uh-uh, I'll read the scriptures, but don't give me the word. Why? Because he exposed who they are. He exposed that deadness inside. They appeared righteous on the outside. They gave the impression to everyone that they absolutely were living the right way. They were honoring God. But when they were contrasted with true righteousness in Jesus Christ, their counterfeit righteousness was clearly shown to be nothing more than filthy rags. So they hated him. So much so that they eventually killed him. Let's read this passage one more time, starting where Jesus answers. They asked him what was the most, the great commandment in the law, and he said to them, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first 
commandment. These words of Jesus ought to make us tremble. Love him with all all my heart, all my mind, all of my soul, all that I am. That's the great commandment, is love Jesus with everything. Isn't it interesting that the Lord did not say that the most important command was to be a good person? The most important command is to always be there on the Lord's day. The most important command is to not cuss, not do drugs, not drink. The most important command, of course, is to memorize all of the Bible. Well, the most important command, of course, is is to spend 10 hours a day in prayer. Well, the most important command, of course, is to not get divorced. The most important command is is to not have sex outside of marriage. Obviously, that's the most important command. Nope. Not one of those made the list, did they? What did? It's to love me. Love the Lord with all that you are. See, in reality, anyone can abstain from sex out of marriage. People dead in their sin have beaten alcoholism. People dead in their sin make a commitment not to cuss. People dead in their sin can be some of the most faithful church members. Those aren't the most important commands. But how often, if we're being honest, how often do we elevate those things as this is the worst sin that you could possibly commit. This, it's it. You, you, you can't do much worse than this. You see somebody that they went out last night and they were having some beer. Oh, that's it. They're gone. They're apostates. They fell away from the faith. That's it. That's the unforgivable sin. There's nothing worse than that. But your outward actions are not the determining factor of whether or not you are in Christ. Anybody can fake it. Anybody can even be sincere in their fakeness. Anybody. And that's exactly why Jesus is pointing us to this command. Because the love of God is seen by God. We can't fake that. He sees your heart. He knows exactly how much time a day you devote to delighting yourself in Him. We talked about enjoying God forever. He knows exactly how much you enjoy Him or how little. Does this mean that sin isn't a big deal? Hold on, Pastor. Are you saying that it's okay to go do all these things? Are you, are you saying that it's okay to go have sex outside of marriage? Of course not. I hope that that answer would be obvious. Of course, that's not what's being said here. Sin is a very big deal. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is saying raises the bar even higher. Think about this. 
If Jesus says that the greatest command in all of the 613 commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What does that mean? That means every second of every day, you're loving Him with all that you are. Church, not one of us has done that for a brief moment in our life. You can lie to yourself and tell, say that you have, but you haven't. None of us have. Because to do that would be to achieve perfection. Thus, if that's the greatest command, what must be the greatest sin? It's to not love Him with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. It's to look at the Bible and yawn. It's to hear the gospel and say, oh yeah, I already know that. It's to read the scriptures and say, I've read this before. It's to sing songs to the Lord and say, whatever. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. Ask yourself this morning, do I do that? Do I love him with even 5% of my heart? How distracted do I get throughout the day? How distracted can I get? And before I know it, it's been four months since I've even picked up my Bible, but we sure make excuses, don't we? It's okay, God knows my heart. He knows I love him. Try that in any other relationship. Try that in marriage. I haven't spoken or dated or spent any time with my wife in four months. For some reason, she's upset with me. How would that go? Probably not well. But we constantly seem to think it's okay to give the Lord God Almighty that sort of effort. It's all right. He knows I don't like to read. So he's okay. I get a pass. I get a pass from actually having to read this stuff because God knows I don't really like to read. I don't think so. God knows that I get distracted in prayer, so he doesn't really expect me to pray. I don't think so. Where do we find that in the scriptures? Because I seem to read right here that we all just read, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is your desire, all your soul, which is all that you are, and all of your mind, which is your thinking and your thought life. Do I love the Lord your my God with all of those things at all times? That's why I say we should read this and tremble. It should break our hearts because of course I don't love God that way. Of course I don't. I get busy. Life gets away from me. And before I know it, all I'm doing is just doing Christian things. I'm just not cussing. I'm just going to church a lot. I'm just doing and doing and doing. But the essence of the Christian life is being. That I am I am in pursuit of the Lord. I am loving Him. 
We sin because we love it. We don't sin because we make mistakes. We sin because we love to sin. All of us are born in iniquity, says the scriptures. All of us. Well, I grew up in church. Great for you. Jeremiah says your heart is wicked and deceitful. For all of us. What does that mean? That means that we're all on the same level playing field. All of us have a great need for Jesus. Every last one of us. There's not one more than another. Many of you know I'm a felon. But in the eyes of God, all of us are convicted felons. Because we've all transgressed his law. Every last one of us. So how do we defeat sin then? If we sin because we love it, and to not sin is to love the Lord God with all that we are, what we need is a greater love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the kind of love we need. Is the love, self-sacrificing love. The meet you in your sin to rescue you from it kind of love. When we come to know this greater love in the person of Jesus Christ, it births in us a love for something greater than distractions, greater than pornography, greater than drugs, alcohol, whatever else you want to fill in the blanks. Because we have come to know the greatest love of all. Church, I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't stop. I remember thinking to myself, I love this and I can't imagine my life without it. Do you think I stand here sober as a bird before you? A changed man because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps? Absolutely not. I stand here because I have come to know a greater love in Jesus Christ. How does anybody defeat sin? It's by coming to know that love. There's not any other way. Will you still sin? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the nearer you grow to the Lord, the more aware you are of just how much you sin. The closer you get to God, the brighter His holiness shines on every area of your life. And you say, man, how do I even tie my shoes in the morning? I don't stop sinning. All I do is sin because I live in this broken body. And that's the hope that we find in the gospel is that one day we will be done with these bodies. We will cast these off and have glorious new resurrected bodies that then will truly love God. That's the hope we have in Christ. Not to be a good person. Who cares about that? 
It's to come to know the good person. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It's to come to know him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about these little things that we piddle around with down here. It's about the glory of Christ through knowing his love. And then he says in John 14, 15, that if you love me, you will obey my commands. We often read that and think that love means obedience. Obedience means love, but that's not what he's saying. It's a cause and effect. It's because I love Christ, that is why I obey. Anybody can obey laws. Anybody can drive the speed limit. Anyone can pay their taxes. Anyone can do those things. They don't have to love God. But you only truly fulfill the command if you love Him. And that love causes you to now obey. And I long to know His testimonies. I long to know more of Him. I long to obey Him better. Why? Because I love Him. That is the essence of the Christian life. It's not doing things. The essence of love is valuing and treasuring Christ above all. Yesterday was my wife's birthday. Because I love her, I want people to make a big deal about her birthday. You feel the same way too about your loved ones. You want people to make a big deal about them because it's their special day. That's why we go to restaurants and we say, hey, can you bring them a cake? And everyone hates it, right? They get embarrassed. No, don't make me get on the saddle, please. Love me from far away. But we do it because we want people to make a big deal about our loved ones. And this is how it is with a love for Christ. So we want me people to make a big deal about him. Make a big deal about Jesus. Don't tell me about you. Tell me about Christ. Tell me what he has done. Tell me of the resurrection again. I can't believe it. He was dead And he rose again? Are you kidding me? Tell me more about that. He was the word who became flesh? What does that mean? Tell me more. I want to know more about this Jesus. That is the Christian life. It's not doing. We see this the best in Paul. Boy, if anybody showed us. Of course, we see it most of all in Christ. Jesus Christ loved the Lord his God for, with all his heart, mind, and soul every second of every day. But Paul, man, that guy, you couldn't do anything to him. He says in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. For those of you who have read that, you know that the context is that Paul is saying that if anybody has a right to brag about what they've done, it's me. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Think about that for a moment. Here we are reading about Pharisees coming to Jesus, wanting to brag about how great they are, how law-keeping they are. And here Paul is saying, I count all that stuff as trash. He says, rubbish. It's actually believed by a lot of scholars that the word he wrote in Greek is a cuss word. I'll let you use your imagination for which word it is. He says, I count everything else as garbage. It's nothing to me. Being a Pharisee, it's nothing. Keeping all those commands the way I used to do, nothing. Why? Because now I know Jesus. That's what matters. Was anybody obedient like Paul? He went to the grave being obedient and loving Jesus. Dear friends, do you love the Savior this way? Do you love Him in such a way that literally everything else in life is trash? That everything else is garbage? Why? Because I know Jesus. Jesus is never just a supplement to your life. He's either everything to you or he's nothing at all. He didn't come to the earth so he could play second place and third place and fourth place and fifth place in a bunch of church-going people's lives. He came to give his all to display for us how we ought to respond. Jesus, you gave me your all when you know, you knew I was going to be this person? Hold on a second. You, you knew that I was going to fail you like this? You knew that I would never love you the way that you deserve to be loved and you still gave your all? Have me. Take everything. You want my money? Have my money. You want my time? Have my time. I have nothing outside of you. John Calvin said, I have given everything for Christ, and what have I found? All in Christ. You see, nobody has ever come to God seeing Him as all worthy and all valuable because you kept a lot of regulations because you were so moral. People come to Christ when they see that He is all valuable. You treasure Him that way? I've never seen anyone live that way. I've never seen a person love God like that. Why do you have that? I want what you have. Those are the lives that transform other lives around them. It's when we see and we savor the value 
and the treasure of Christ. Psalm 1611 says it this way, that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we love God that way? I just want to be with him. Because there I find joy. There I find my happiness. There I find my peace, my love, my grace. I find it all in him. This kind of heart will follow all of the Lord's commands with joy. Because this person knows that in following the Lord's commands, you come to know more of the Lord. Do you delight yourself in the Lord this way? Do you treasure Him as all valuable? Do you long to know more of Him? You don't have to be honest with me. Be honest with Him this morning. Have you fallen into complacency of rule following? Of just doing a bunch of Christian things? You might be asking, well, how do we do this? How do I love the Lord this way? Never will. (laughs) We'll never love Him this way. But when we have become born again, by a sovereign working of the Lord's Spirit in your heart, you will come to know and love Him more and more and more. Psalm 119, verse 162 says, I rejoice over your word as one who finds great spoil. If you are in Christ, how you come to love Him more is by learning to rejoice over His word knowing that in this word you come to know him more, knowing that in this word you come closer to him, then you will rejoice as one who finds great spoil. Let's stand. Though we cannot love the Lord perfectly, there was one who walked this earth who did it for us. Jesus Christ never had a moment in his life where he did not love the Lord his God with all his mind, heart, soul, and strength. I spoke earlier of needing a greater love to overcome sin, and and this greater love, the greatest love, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word who became flesh He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He came to this earth to live the life that you and I could never live, that He might go to the cross bearing all of our sins, extinguishing the full measure of God's wrath that was stored up against you. And He died. He rose again. And he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you come to trust this love by putting your faith in him and repenting of your sin, the scriptures say that you too 
will be saved. What a glorious gospel this is. Let's have a time of prayer. Let's have a time of examining ourselves. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere. If you want to come to the front, that's your prerogative. But examine ourselves before the Lord. Let's pray.